0: For thousands of years, people have been brewing and also fermenting alcoholic drinks. Alcoholic beverages have been a staple of human society for thousands of years. However, there are some people who cannot regulate their desire for and therefore intake of alcohol. Regardless of how much of a detriment that is to various aspects of their life. Now, it's at that point that we consider that somebody has Alcohol Use Disorder. In today's world, it is considered highly insulting to say that someone is an alcoholic. It is more politically correct to call it alcohol use disorder. However, I do not agree that it is actually a disorder. Also, for the sake of your own understanding of a concept which your consciousness has already been ingrained with, I'm going to use the word alcoholic in this episode. Not because I'm intending to insult anyone, but because it gives me a way to help people who understand certain language to understand a condition that they already think they comprehend. It also must be said before I start this episode officially that I could write a book on alcoholism and all of the different patterns that go into it. So consider what I'm about to share with you, a seriously condensed version of the subject. (laughs) An addiction is a coping mechanism. It is in essence self-administered pain medication. You may benefit before you watch this video to understand addiction in and of itself. You can do this by watching my video titled Addiction and How to Overcome Addiction. Alcohol use is no exception. However, alcohol use is an interesting thing because it is potentially the most widespread substance addiction. It's becoming rivaled by medications, but... (laughs) Let's say that it's societally acceptable to drink alcohol, which makes it much easier for people to deny that they actually have a problem. Now, when we're going through our life, we become accustomed to a certain level of pain and tension. I mean, you all know this, if you are in a painful relationship, you just become used to the normal, kind of low level pain you're living with every day. It's for this reason, that I think that alcohol abuse is so prevalent meaning that people don't really identify that the reason that they're using alcohol and the reason they love feeling buzzed or drunk even is because in that moment they get relief from pain that they didn't even consciously really realize they had people can look you straight in the face and say I don't have an alcohol problem I'm not really I'm not using it as an addiction I'm not using it for pain as a pain med I just like the way it takes the edge off without understanding that To imply it takes the edge off, implies there's some sort of pain or tension that it takes the edge off of. The fact that alcohol is such a staple for human social functions, exacerbates this lack of awareness around the true motives and needs for the consumption of alcohol, as well as why we like it so much. All addiction is a modality of escape, a modality of relief. It is a modality of rescue from a specific tension or pain. Let's call it distress. Now, each specific addiction feels like relief from a specific sensation because these specific pains, these specific tensions, these specific points of distress dictate what will give relief. And alcohol is no exception. So you can understand this underlying distress that is creating the need for specifically the addiction to alcohol, I'm going to explain that for you today. The pain that fuels alcohol addiction is unsafety in relationships. That means unsafety with people. Alcoholics have a high degree of social anxiety, whether they recognize and admit to this or not is another thing. It is very hard for alcoholics, especially men, to admit that safety is their issue. This makes them feel weak and in many cases emasculated. The other very hard thing to face is that if you are an alcoholic, your background, meaning childhood environment socially, was a dysfunctional win. Now a lot of people don't recognize that their relationship is dysfunctional. Why? Because it's hard for a fish swimming in water to understand the water, the limits of the water, the problems with water, unless they experience something else. Very few people have come to understand that it is the emotional and mental and sometimes physical wounding that was a byproduct of childhood trauma that is actually creating their current addictions. Very hard for them to realize this. Instead, what they're doing is saying, well, I must be addicted because of some genetic predisposition. I must be addicted because of some abnormality in my brain chemistry. I must be addicted because I have some sort of a irreparable character flaw. (laughs) Now the truth couldn't be any further from this. And let's be honest, because connection or our sense of our own childhoods, our family connections, tend to be the most carefully guarded ones in our entire experience. All of us would prefer for there to be another explanation than that the reason that we have this pattern is because of a dysfunctional situation in our childhood home. (laughs) The thing is, if we don't understand this and we don't really directly look at those negative patterns that were ingrained in us that cause distress, that's the reason for the addiction in the first place, then at very best, even if we are able to get off of alcohol, we become a dry drunk. Now, for those of you that don't understand what a dry drunk is, it's somebody who regardless of whether they're on alcohol or off alcohol entirely and even for years, the same traits and character, the same uh, detrimental behavior that was present when they were drinking, is still present. There's just no drinking. The sad thing is, is that if you come from a dysfunctional home environment, which by the way, it's actually impossible to become an alcoholic if you do not come from a dysfunctional situation in your childhood environment, the sad thing about this whole situation is that you will repeat those patterns in your adult life. It's a lot easier for people to look at their adult relationships and to go, wait a minute, this really isn't working for me and it's dysfunctional than it is for people to realize that that dysfunction playing out in their adult life is an exact mirror reflection of the exact dysfunction that was present in their formative years. Between ages birth and about 8 years old, when a child starts to transition into the mental aspect of growth, they are literally being programmed with these patterns, regardless of whether they're healthy or not. Thus they repeat when they are unresolved or changed. The pain that unites alcoholics is the feeling that relationships are not safe, especially emotionally. Even though on a physiological level, alcohol depresses the central nervous system and therefore delivers some form of physical pain relief, the reason that men who return from war with PTSD end up alcoholic is also unsafety in human relationships. Just think about it for a minute. If you're constantly on high alert, waiting for any moment that a person's gonna jump out and shoot you. If you're constantly on alert knowing that anyone could betray you at any moment because the rule of the game in terms of human relationships is war, that's also a relationship problem. I'm unsafe in relationships. People who are alcoholic feel as if there is absolutely no way to guarantee and control being able to have a feel-good relationship that stays good. Now it is this pattern, shall we say, that makes it so they choose the partners that they do the partners that they choose will be of the same belief. Therefore, there will be very specific strategies that they and their partner employ in order to try to make the relationship safe. Of course, we know that these patterns are dysfunctional and make the relationship unsafe in and of itself. However, to both people engaged in this relationship, it feels more like safety. First and foremost, transaction. Now, those of you who have been through the AA programs already understand that what I'm getting at here is this classic relationship that people talk about between the narcissist and the codependent. Unsafety in relationship causes a person to come down with a subconscious decision about life and that decision is, the law of the land is, it's every man out for himself. That decision makes somebody do something interesting. It makes them start to realize that if they're going to get their needs met or anything else like that that's in alignment with their best interests, it's gonna have to be them fighting for their own best interests against everyone else. This causes them to go into a kind of bubble. This bubble is what we call narcissism. But the thing is, is that narcissism is not some sort of an issue with morality either. It's a condition or a pattern of relationship style. Specifically, codependency and narcissism, is a relationship style that evolves out of unsafety in relationships. To understand more about narcissism, watch my video titled, Narcissism. With that being said, the codependent is in fact also a narcissist. They're a covert narcissist though. Now, I'm going to do an entire episode probably one day on codependency in and of itself because it's such a poorly understood concept as well. To an alcoholic, a feel-good relationship feels impossible. There is no way to ensure that one's vulnerability is safe and protected from harm. Many people who are alcoholic unconsciously feel as if they're tiptoeing on broken glass with people and as if their entire life has to be lived with the tension of pretense. In fact, pretense is the reason most people like to get buzzed or drunk. If you're constantly living in this tense state of carefully planned words and actions, you end up feeling uptight. Alcohol becomes a way of letting down that pretense and feeling free and loose and authentic and uninhibited. Those of you who have been reading my travel blogs know that the most dominant negative vibration of London, England or England in general is pretense. It should be no wonder then, why the nightlife, I should say the culture in England, is all about getting drunk once you get let out of work. It's because trying to cope with pretense. Now, the thing is, if you have to keep up pretenses in a relationship, it means you feel unsafe to be really who you are. Now, when you are uninhibited and you're able to let down that pretense, you're able to be actually more authentic to who you really are. However, alcohol gives you another doorway out. It's this one. You may be more authentic and more true to how you really think and feel on alcohol, but the next day if people have an issue with that authenticity, you can blame it on the alcohol. But what we have to get is that this feeling of inhibition, is specifically because of feelings of unsafety. As I mentioned, to an alcoholic, security in relationships and tenderness in relationships feels impossible because of the plethora of dysfunctional patterns that plays out in their relationships, that creates this feeling of complete unsafety socially. All of those patterns boil down to one main thing, and that one main thing is, Every man has to fend for themselves. No one's gonna take your best interest as part of themselves, in fact, they're gonna be against it, so you gotta fight for your own best interests. Now this makes transaction the most safe relationship you can be in, because the laws of the game are straightforward. There's no surprises. I give you this, you give me that in exchange. In a world where everyone's only out for their best interest, you're actually fundamentally alone, regardless of whether you're in the room with other people or not. And this creates this tension that you often see with alcoholics, of trying to control absolutely every element of their social relationships. Being so unsafe that they try to control everything creates a tension and an inauthenticity that is almost unbearable, which then leads them to the desire to take the edge off that constant tension. This compels them to drink. In essence, they drink to relieve the tension of the constant control they're trying to exert over everything and everyone, so as to try to avoid the many dangers they associate with other people, and with human relationships. The thing is, if you're alcoholic, you've never actually been in a relationship where two people take each other's best interests as part of their own best interests. So you don't even know what you're missing. If you don't even know what you're missing, you don't know how to resolve the pain. The pain just becomes a normal part of life. It's almost like if you're born with two broken legs, and you're in pain all the time, but everyone around is acting like that's normal pretty soon you get gaslighted. You think, well, you know, I feel all this way, but like obviously it's not okay to feel this way and no one else is reacting as if I should feel this way and so I guess I'm just gonna try to cope with it. I guess there's something wrong with me. The second layer to this lack of awareness that keeps alcoholics stuck is the fact that in order to stay safe, they made a very important decision about life. There is no such thing as a safe relationship. Many people who are focused on addiction recovery point to genetics or the brain itself for why some people suffer from addiction. The thing that most people miss is that genetic expression is altered by experience and the environment shapes the human body, including the brain. This includes the interpersonal experiences that a person has. For this reason, it can be said that brain development is a reaction to the environment. If one has a healthy, safe relationship in childhood, the brain will form differently than it will, if the necessary conditions for healthy brain development, most especially emotional conditions, are not available. This distortion of brain development is what many researchers point to as the cause of addiction, when in fact, that's like saying the light came from the light bulb. We all know the story of light began long before the light bulb. The way genes express themselves and the way the brain forms is another symptom, not the original cause. So at this point, most of you know that Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 step program is perhaps the most common, the most known and the most highly attended program for addiction recovery that exists. To say it has a chokehold on the addiction industry is an understatement of the century. AA and the 12 step program with regards to every addiction now, especially alcoholism, is a bit like the Catholic church in the middle ages. That being said, Wasn't it sacrilegious to say anything about the Catholic Church in the middle ages? Yes. So the likelihood of what I'm going to go into now relative to AA and the 12 step program is likely to really upset some people as you will probably see in the comments below this video. However, at the risk of upsetting people, as per usual, I'm going to express a higher objective reality about AA and the 12 step program. There is one core reason why AA meetings work for anyone. The reason is, is that those meetings and specifically the way those meetings are conducted, is actually the closest that the majority of alcoholics and we could say addicts in general, have had to a safe relationship. They are also the closest that most addicts, including alcoholics, have ever come to relief from the loneliness they feel all the time. It is the way that other people relate to them in that group. And the rules of conduct laid down by the organization itself and supervised by the group leader that creates the sensation of safety. Given the wounding that compels someone to drink, this is healing. It's healing because it's the opposite experience. If you look at an AA meeting, so many of the elements that are taking place during that meeting are elements of a safe relationship. Things like being able to expose your vulnerabilities and them never being used against you. Things like someone being available to you if you need them any time of night. Things like being able to express yourself and be heard, seen and felt. And being able to make mistakes without experiencing the loss of connection. All of these things are core features of this program. The other sad reality is that as a human race right now, we ascribe the lowest possible value to an addict. Is it any surprise then, when we behave this way towards addicts, why they would flock so directly to a fellowship of likewise alienated individuals? These are the scapegoats of society. These are the outcasts. Of course they're going to gravitate to a group of people who understand them, who see, feel and hear them. People who have had similar experiences and most importantly, similar pain. On top of this, AA is free, it is an around the globe, around the clock support network, which quite frankly, people who are addicts, need. And it is something that most addiction programs, quite literally can't offer. That being said, AA and 12 step programs, are addiction resources, which should not be confused, for addiction treatment programs so now that we have gone into those things, it's obvious why AA would be something that anybody who's addicted would cling to and what benefits actually come out of it. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. An AA meeting is not necessarily full of people who are safe. Even if the structure of it and the way that it's conducted is the closest that most people have gotten to a safe relationship, doesn't mean the people who are there are inherently safe themselves. In fact, it may be on the lower end of the scale of places to meet safe people, and there are a few reasons for this. Depending on what country you live in, (laughs) many times the court actually mandates criminals to attend AA meetings if they have an addiction issue. So your likelihood of running into somebody with a criminal record is actually higher there. Several people meet their perpetrators in AA meetings. Also, You have to understand that there is not a person who sits down at an AA meeting who is not in need of emotional, mental, especially relationship rehabilitation. That's what really needs to be done there. It means that these people do not actually know how to have relationships. It means that these very painful social patterns are still present in them and could very well come out on you. This doesn't make them bad or wrong. Any more than a wild animal is bad or wrong, but you have to know what you're dealing with. I mean, if you're dealing with an animal that's been very, very damaged, the likelihood of you opening the cage and sticking your hand in and not getting bitten is very low. And by the way, with that bitten analogy, this applies to even the very sweetest people who attend AA meetings, because even them, the most codependent of them, can carry out incredibly painful patterns socially. Many of the methods that are used by AA and 12-step programs are completely outdated methodologies that have no place in addiction treatment. When these programs were created, it was an assumption that addiction was in fact a moral issue. It was a character flaw. It was a lack of willpower. (laughs) Because moral defect or moral weakness was thought to be at the heart of addiction treatment, there are explicitly Christian overtones in AA. The fact that there are overtly Christian overtones in AA is a problem, but it's a problem I'm not going to go directly into. Why? Because many AA programs and 12 step programs have swayed away from these Christian overtones and tried to create something more agnostic. That being said, even these more agnostic groups tend to focus at addiction healing as if it is a moral issue. Morality has absolutely no place in a conversation about addiction. It has nothing to do with addiction. And if you start focusing at it as if it does, that only creates more shame, right? Morality is a sense of goodness versus badness, right versus wrong. It has no place in addiction. If you start focusing at it like it does, you actually reinforce shame. Shame is the bedrock of the self-concept of an addict. It's the reason most of them can't admit they got a problem in the first place. Because why? In a relationship that's unsafe, it's not safe to admit you have a problem. So, if you want to reinforce the very condition creating the alcoholism in the first place, go ahead and make it a moral issue. The other perhaps biggest issue that the universe at large has with the 12 step program of AA, is that it encourages you to recognize that you're powerless and to place your faith and healing in a higher power. This in fact, increases the risk of relapse and the risk that those relapses will be more and more severe. It's important to accept reality. Reality is, I cannot control everything in life. Reality is, I'm abusing alcohol to cope with my life and it's creating huge problems for myself and the people around me. But reality is that you're not powerless and you do not have to nor should you place your faith regarding healing in a higher power than yourself. Besides the fact that this is total BS on a universal level, it's also reinforcing the alcoholic's feelings that they are powerless in general. Remember that the original wound underneath alcoholism involves powerlessness relative to relationships and creating what one genuinely wants in order to feel good. These features reinforce the wound, they don't fix it. That being said, you also have to understand that the curriculum that was created for AA and 12 step programs, that took place at a time where it was really common to be an addict. Meaning alcoholism was just what every dad was like. And the program itself was designed specifically for white men. Now what benefited these people at the time, who were making all kinds of excuses about why it was fine for them to do what they were doing, is to admit that they were powerless. But there are many groups, women, minorities, who never actually felt that way. They were never in a position in society where it would benefit them in any way to say, I can't control everything. They already were powerless. So coming to them and reinforcing this concept of powerlessness of those demographics especially, did not swing them more towards the humility of I can't control everything but I admit I have a problem. It swung them deeper into powerlessness than was ever there before. Another issue, many AA programs, 12 step programs included in these, They reinforce the idea that once an addict, always an addict. Yet again, this is complete and total BS. It also defies the universal law of healing. Addiction is nothing more than a freaking tendency. It's a tendency to cope with distress in a certain way. So to say that because you cope with stress in that way, you will always run the risk of coping with stress in that way, it's retardation to pathologize yourself in this way and to believe yourself to always be defective in this way or at risk of it, not only reinforces self-distrust, but it's also detrimental to your self-concept. But it's at this point that I have to talk about this very deep shadow that I'm noticing in many of these 12 step programs in AA groups. And it's that you have to believe once an addict, always an addict, in order to keep your sense of belonging. Obviously, you don't really belong in an AA group, if you're not an alcoholic still, right? So you're gonna keep going for 20 years. Why are you gonna keep going for 20 years? Because that's your place to belong, that's your place for safe relationships, that's the closest to safe relationships you've ever gotten, that's where you're not lonely. Of course you're gonna defend that and be there forever, but what if the risk of that is having to maintain an identity of an addict forever? Is it worth the payoff? Only you can answer that question. Even though some of these groups are getting better, most of these groups, like AA and 12 step program, do not understand that it is the trauma that is underneath this distress that is causing the desire to use alcohol in the first place that is the problem. What they do is that they focus on overcoming alcohol addiction as if it is a matter of developing willpower and morality alone. Yet again, addiction is not a matter of an issue of willpower. My last point, my last issue, shall I say, that the universe at large has with the 12 step program is that it's a one size fits all approach. That being said, I have to give some leniency because it is very difficult to create a group program that is not a one size fits all methodology. However, this distress or these wounds that is creating addictions in general, but in this case alcoholism, they're different wounds. Even though they share similarities, every person's going to have a different variable in their life that led to why they have this coping mechanism in the first place. And therefore, they have individual awarenesses, individual tools which will work for them. And individual resolutions which need to take place in order for them to make it so that there's no wound there at present that you're wanting to drink to cover up. That means that true addiction treatment actually must be an individualized process. And that these group experiences can be in addition to in a support process, what's uh, us call it a resource for addiction, not a treatment in and of itself. When the reality of addiction is that people need specifically tailored awareness and specifically tailored solutions, what this means is that that popular slogan, people fail the program, the program doesn't fail the people, is also complete and total BS. It is the program failing the people, not the people failing the program because the program is being treated by society as if it is a treatment program instead of an accessory to treatment. Okay, all that being said about alcoholism, what should you do if you struggle with alcoholism? 1. Your first step away from alcoholism is to decide you don't want to drink. Now what I just said is pretty interesting. You may not understand it right away, so let me dive deeper. For the majority of people who are trying to quit alcohol, it's not a genuine desire not to drink. It's something that they feel they shouldn't do. It's something they feel they have to use their willpower not to do. Now, this is the thing I need you to understand. Willpower is really something that has to be used only when someone has a desire to do something. Obviously, you don't need to use your willpower to oppose yourself in any way if you decide, I don't want to drink anymore. So, the very first and most empowering step is, I don't want to drink anymore. Now obviously, if you can't say this honestly, ask yourself why. Now as for not wanting to drink anymore, aside from all the plethora of detrimental things that alcohol is doing to your life currently, I have something that should help you out. As much as people are going to resist the hell out of what I'm about to say, The human body is not designed to handle alcohol. Alcohol is not good for the human body. Alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is an intoxicant. And alcohol is toxic to the human body. Now I know that those of you who would love to justify alcohol would love to tell me, but wait, there have been studies that prove that alcohol is right. Look deeper into those studies because there's some very interesting reasons why these results have turned out. If you're going to make the argument that alcohol is good for people at all, the reason is, is because I can't tell you how much toll it takes on the human body to be walking around in a state of stress and tension. It is no joke that because of the various effects of alcohol, it causes a person to release that tension. This tension that people are living with takes a toll on people's health, including heart health, including blood pressure. So, (laughs) It's only natural that if somebody is self-medicating in that way and releasing tension in that way, you will see a physiological effect. That being said, is that the right method for going about releasing that tension? Another thing is, a lot of the arguments towards it's an antioxidant, isn't about alcohol at all. In fact, it's about the specific fruits the alcohol is made from. So for example, you could get the very same benefits from drinking something like grape juice that you could from drinking something like wine made from grapes. It's the grape that is the antioxidant. Yet again, this begs the question, is not there a better way to do it? Now this next one, I find the most amusing. If you look deep into these studies that are done around heart health and sipping red wine, it's gonna make you kind of vomit because these studies are done with people who sip red wine every day. What does that tell you? the people who they studied in order to be able to afford sipping red wine every night, obviously came from a different social stratus. This means higher incomes, this means more education around health in general, this means the probability of them actually eating a healthier diet and having access to healthier foods and healthier lifestyle in general is exponential. Therefore, is it really the wine doing it? Or is it the demographic and the lifestyle that that demographic lives that creates your variables in terms of heart health and wine? (laughs) I don't want you to forget that smoking was once a staple of human society and that doctors and studies once said smoking was healthy too. I am telling you this as a medical intuitive. I am telling you this Having grown up in a culture that really doesn't like alcohol, so everything in me would love to say that that culture is messed up and that alcohol is fine. It's not fine for the human body. You will find this out in the future and I realize that upsets people, but there it is. 2. Accept that you are not powerless to addiction at all. It is extremely difficult to let go of a coping mechanism when letting go of that coping mechanism means landing in all the pain you are really desperately needing to get out of. That is not weakness on your part that you want to get out of that pain. I of all people understand the level of pain you have to be going through to have an addiction is so extreme, (sighs) anyone who is in that pain would be reaching and grasping for a solution regardless of whether it caused other pain in their life or not. So you have the utmost compassion for the fact that that is a strategy you're using. That being said, you're not powerless. You are responsible for everything you're doing, saying, all the actions you're taking. That being said, the things you're thinking, saying and doing are not actually the byproduct of your free will currently, they're the byproduct of determinism. Saying that something is created by determinism means that it is created by unconscious traumas which have become patterns, which are now unresolved within you. 3. The only real way to resolve alcoholism is to really face the distress that you are trying to alleviate through taking alcohol. This approach is distinctly different than focusing at alcohol use disorder as if alcoholism is a disorder in the first place. This is also distinctly different than focusing on alcohol as if it, a substance itself, is addictive. The 12-step program encourages abstinence because it believes you're powerless and thus must completely avoid alcohol. What if I told you that if you resolve the pain you're using alcohol to dull out, there will no longer be a craving for it in the first place? In other words, the alcoholism itself should be treated like a symptom not a cause. For this reason, though spirituality can serve a role in some people's healing, it should never be central to the treatment of addiction. Now the fact that I, as a spiritual teacher in the world, am telling you this means you really need to listen to it when I say that. When a spiritual teacher themselves looks you in the face and says that the central aspect of treatment of addiction should never be spirituality, that is a very serious statement. Spirituality, when it's viewed as a way of treating alcoholism, can have many detrimental effects. Chief among them, avoidance of the original wounding that needs resolution, as well as the substitution of non-physical relationships for human relationships. You've already learned from this episode that the core wounding that creates alcoholism is unsafety in relationships, specifically human ones. This means it is all too tempting for an alcoholic to throw out the window the thing they actually need for healing, which is to create safe human relationships and instead replace it for a relationship with God. For In order to heal pain, you have to actually go directly into it. It's this methodology of the only way out is in. I know this is the exact opposite direction that you actually want to be going. However, if you want a resolution to alcoholism, that is the direction you need to go. It is also beneficial for you to do this, to go into this um, pain or this deep well that is underneath your addiction with someone else. This can be when it's useful to abstain from alcohol. If you do not engage in drinking, those wounds that you're trying to avoid with the alcohol will begin to speak loudly. This makes them easier to directly become aware of and resolve. When you are deciding to get off of any substance, it's very important that you prepare for this process. Because obviously the um, experience of withdrawal can be very, very serious. It's something that I think is best to um, study so you know what to expect and kind of rearrange your life so that there is at least some space for that process to happen. Space for you to be in pain. Space for those painful withdrawal symptoms to occur. Space where you can actually go into it. I have created a process to specifically go into the pain underneath addictions. It is called the completion process. If you're interested in learning how to do this process, pick up a copy of my book that is quite literally titled The Completion Process. Or, to find a practitioner that can lead you through the process, visit www.thecompletionprocess.com It is the failure to focus on these deep wounds and deep distress points that underlie addictions, that is the reason for this incredibly poor success rate that you see with rehab centers and 12 step programs. 5. You know that the root of alcoholism is unsafety in relationships. This means unsafety with people. So what does this mean? If you want to heal from alcoholism, that's what to master. The mastery that needs to be created in your life is relationships. This means it's time to become obsessed with learning how to have a safe relationship, what not safe relationships are, what are the components of both. Your purpose on this planet, shall we say, if this is your wind, is to become an expert in how to have a safe relationship. What I just said is really big. It means you're here to heal your experience of unsafe relationship. So you can understand what healing is, I encourage you to watch my video titled, What is healing? Your obsession from this point forward should be learning how to create safe relationships and then actually creating them in your life. This means you have to become safe for other people too. Now, I know it's difficult to admit, but the thing is, is that if you have made a decision based on your experiences in life that relationships are unsafe, you react to that in a specific way, don't you? If the law of the land is it's every man out for themselves and you can't trust people to take your best interests into account, you become overly concerned only with your best interests. You become defensive, you become armored. You start to behave in a way you of course feel like it's a defense strategy, but a person in this state of defense by definition is not safe to be in relationship with. So one of the hardest things to face when you're walking down this road of having safe relationships is the ways that you yourself are unsafe in relationships. Also that being said, if you are an alcoholic, the likelihood of you having people in your life still today that can't actually have a safe relationship is high. This means that you're not gonna be able to create safe relationships with everyone in your life and you may just figure out that there are some changes you need to make drastically to your social life and your social circles. To get you started on this journey of mastering safe relationships, watch my video titled, How to Create a Safe Relationship. You use alcohol in many ways to escape the pain, the tension, the discomfort that you feel about feeling like you cannot make changes to your relationship. However, from a universal level, it's not really beneficial to cope in that way, because coping implies you can't change something. From a universal level, it's 100 times more important to actually create safe relationships, instead of cope with unsafe ones. 6. The unconscious perception that you can't have people in your life that are safe, that they don't exist, or that there's no way to make relationships feel good and safe long term, isn't actually true. Chances are, if you look at your childhood, you're gonna notice a great dysfunction around emotions. Chief among them, you're going to notice that when you had specific emotions, there was a or multiple caregivers in your life who weren't okay with you having that emotion. In other words, unless it suited them for you to have an emotion, you didn't get to have it. The pattern is this, many of them made decisions for you, decisions that weren't actually in alignment with your best interest at all, even though they thought they were. It hurt you. You reacted to the fact that it hurt you and it wasn't in your best interest, but when you did that, Who was the problem? Them for taking the action or you for having the reaction you had? The answer is the latter. Their actions conveyed the message, I'm gonna punch you now. But you don't get to have a problem with it. In fact, thank me for it. Or I'm gonna make you the problem. In order to survive in your childhood home, you became a suppressor. You had to suppress your authentic thoughts, your authentic feelings, your authentic desires and needs because everything you were was in conflict with the people in your childhood environment if you managed to suppress these things well, you turned into the family codependent. Let's call it the golden child, shall we? The person who lost their identity for the sake of the relationships in their life. Now, if you weren't able to suppress these feelings and these perceptions and needs and authentic aspects of you well, you were turned into the family scapegoat. Either way, regardless of what role you ended up in, the underlying message you received is, The way you feel is not okay for me, unless it's what I want. The way you think is not okay for me, unless it's the way that I think. What you want is not okay, unless it's in alignment with what I want. You don't really get to have a you. And you really don't get to notice your emotions. So suppression is the way to exist in this household. That's become your style of emotions now. I mean, if you look at alcohol use, it's so much about a person who suppresses. For this reason, I very strongly ask you to watch one of my videos. It's titled, The Emotional Wake-up Call. You need to learn how to deal with emotions in yourself and in others. The most important question to ask yourself is, what am I trying to suppress or numb out with alcohol? What are the actual thoughts and emotions underneath the action I am taking or the specific behavior that I'm exhibiting and where do those thoughts and emotions come from? What does the alcohol give me that I can't seem to experience without it? Loneliness is a core experience in life that all alcoholics share. This is true whether they recognize and admit to it or not. Alcohol is often used to sedate this feeling of emptiness. Also the core self-concept that alcoholics have is that of shame, which is a central pillar of loneliness. For this reason, I encourage you to pick up a copy of my book titled The Anatomy of Loneliness, in which I explain the exact makeup of loneliness, including separation, shame and fear. In the book, I show you how to resolve these things that create loneliness, so that you can feel true connection in your life instead. 8. Approach the pain or tension underneath the addiction, as well as the problems created by the addiction itself, with a holistic approach. When it comes to healing, You can approach healing on a mental level, on an emotional level, on a physical level. And in fact, healing is often the best when you approach it from all of these levels. There are so many things you can try that are an incredible accessory to or element of your healing and well-being in life. Try these things and see what works for you. Things like meditation, liver cleanses, changes regarding nutrition, exercise, community projects, energy work, Financial changes, yoga, changes to your living environment, hobbies, relationship workshops, this is just to name a few, your goal should be to try these things so that you can discover those necessary ingredients to your specific well-being and remember alcoholism just like every other addiction is not a defect in morality, it is not a defect in character, it does not make you bad, it does not make you wrong. And so there is no reason to be ashamed of this.